You're listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 72. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr talks with Jake Swig, Director of Player Development for University of Illinois' football team, about his process in building champions. With a combination of Jake's experience as a Navy SEAL, football player, and coach, he delivers a passionate approach in this interview that drives actions and results. This is one leader that you want to get behind and follow. Hey, Jake, how are you? I'm great, Grant. How are you doing today? Man, I'm doing awesome. I am I'm thoroughly excited for this, this podcast and having you on my show. And there's a few things that just, just connected with me and resonated with me a few days ago when I saw a, a few posts on LinkedIn and and I can't wait to talk about actions and results and how to build champions for life. 100%, man. That's the mantra, right? We build them for life, not not for tomorrow, not for next month, but for their whole life. Beautiful. Beautiful. But before we get into the into the meat and potatoes of this interview, uh, I want to talk about mental toughness. It's something that I love talking about. I start off every show with this question. So what yep. does mentally tough mean to you? You know, that's interesting because I used to be mentally really soft. And it's funny, um, I grew up in a family, I, I, I didn't have a dad for probably the first six years of my life. I was raised by my grandfather and my grandmother. And it was just an interesting take. Like my grandfather worked for an insurance company, he was an adjuster, pretty successful, but like hard wasn't, wasn't a way of life for him. He just, you know, he kind of was a, a white collar worker. You know, I learned how to ride a bike at like five and a half and I can remember how hard it was. And then I got a truck driving, beer drinking dad. And, you know, what I thought was hard before, maybe taking the trash out, turned into chopping wood for 24 hours. And so I, I know where I can put all of my mental toughness on. But physically, I didn't really get tough until probably ninth grade. So when we talk about mental and physical toughness, like I think it's a, a lifelong process. And although I'm really mentally tough now, physically, like it's not even close to who I used to be. And it, it, you're reminded from it, you know, you're reminded by it uh, from time to time when you go out to try to do something. You're like, oh, my God, like this is hard. Right. And you're like, you know, 15 years ago, this this wouldn't even have been a blink. What was it in ninth grade that made you mentally tough? So I lost one wrestling match seventh and eighth grade. And I came into the ninth grade, I was four foot 11, 141 pounder, full of fire, right? Going to take on the world. Right. And I, prompt, I promptly went not, uh, 15 and nine Wow. in wrestling my, my freshman year. I got pinned for the first time in probably two years. Like it was just a, it was a, it was an eye-opening experience, right? And so um, I have asthma real bad. I couldn't, if I didn't deal with you in the first couple of periods, that third period I was losing no matter what the score was, you know, I just wasn't a good athlete. I, I wasn't a, a good uh, mentally tough, physically in fit athlete to deal with wrestling. And so, you know, I lost, I got done with the season. I lettered, I was really pumped about getting a letterman's jacket. And then I realized I was 15 and nine and I started running every day. And so it's a process, man. I started running around the block. And when I started, I, my block is probably maybe 600 yards long. And I'd do one lap. And then, you know, two weeks later, I was able to do two laps. And 
three weeks later, I was able to do three laps, and then I started do, making the block a little bit bigger. And, you know, fast forward to the end of the golf season that year, and pretty soon I was running this 2.8-mile lap that pretty much made me who I am today. And so from the middle of my freshman year, right after wrestling season to the end of my senior year, I could count on one hand the days that I missed running in some context. So... Um, I spent a lot of time running out to DuPont and back, which was a 12-mile round trip, um, you know, because I have – I got asthma like a superstar. And, you know, you're in an, an anaerobic event or an aerobic event, I'm sorry, like wrestling, you got to be in world-class shape. And so for me to be in world-class shape, it was a year-round endeavor. So, you know, huge trigger. At the end of the day, dude, like I will cut my arm off not to lose. And so – the result was I lost one regular season wrestling match the remaining three years of high school. Wow. And you were state champion, right? Yeah, I won a state championship my senior year. Um, probably was talented enough my fresh or my sophomore and junior year to win it, but I didn't understand what I needed to do. And once again, like, you know, you want to go and be a state championship, I tell everybody I drove 45 minutes one way to the hardest wrestling program in the state. I lost 14 pounds every day of practice. I got my head caved in, and I still won state by a total of three points over three matches. Wow. I was losing two of those matches most of the match. And so if I hadn't done everything, including skip English every day, to go down to Timberline High School and wrestle with one of the best wrestling coaches in my state, I probably wouldn't have won a state title even then. Wow. Man, mental toughness, grit, resiliency, that's what comes up for me, man, just hearing that story. 100%, man. Like, I, I tell people, you know, I got so many of those stories just because, like, I learned to read in college, okay? And so when you have some some hindrances, like not knowing how to read, you you can't survive in life if you ain't got extraordinary grit, right? I, I One of my best stories that I like to tell, I was studying for the GMAT, and I'm not a great standardized test taker. I got in the Naval Academy with a 700 SAT score, a 240 English, and a 460 math. And so there's a writing requirement. And I just told you, I learned to read in college, so you, can, you know where my writing level is at. And so I had been studying for about six months for the GMAT. I was killing the math section, getting a 99. I was doing okay in the English section, anywhere from a 60 to like a 75. I was banging almost 700s. I was great, but I couldn't even get the writing assessment to, to register a zero or, you know, like above a zero. Yeah. So I said, okay, cool. I, I know how to grit this out. So I memorized 3,000-word essays word for word, straight out of the Princeton Review book. I took the three essays they had written, memorized them word for word, went in on the test, and I took the two that fit the best. I changed the nouns from the question to the essay I had remembered, and then that was a wrap. I got a five out of six on the writing requirement. Wow. But that took me two and a half months to remember 3,000-word essays word for word. You know, but I, I'm not going to fail. You're not going to see me go in there and get a 700 on a GMAT and then turn around and get a one on the on the writing section. <laughs> right. You know. Right. And then I ended up bombing the math section. So then it, my whole GMAT plan kind of got thrown out the damn window because I bombed the math section, got an 81. So. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, with with that mindset and discipline, obviously it seems like it was a natural transition. I'm guessing, to be a Navy SEAL. And you have an impressive career as a Navy SEAL. 
And I know being mentally tough is vital in the fabric of being a, of a soldier. And I know there's other things that make up a soldier. But when you re- reflect on your Navy SEAL career, what was the most meaningful or impactful experience where you had to be mentally tough? And I know you had to be mentally tough on everything you did, but was there that one experience where you had to drop into that mindset? You know, it's interesting you say that. Like, you ask most SEALs, they're going to tell you they live in that mindset, right? It's, you, you can't come and go in that mindset. It's just not possible. You can't, you can't function as a, as, a, as a type A operator and come and go in that mindset. It literally becomes who you are. But to answer that question, I would say, you know, like the most, the biggest thing you do, like I was an officer in the SEAL teams. I led the most capable people in the world, right? And that would be like every day they were going to challenge you to be your best because they're their best. And everybody asked me, you know, what it's like. And I tell them like being a leader in the SEAL teams is hard, but it's not that hard because you're dealing with the most capable people in the world. You know, 75% of my SEAL platoon had college degrees. Four of them had master's degrees, right? They were more educated than I was as a, as a young lieutenant in the Navy, and they were capable. You know, I tell people, like, I got 16 dudes, uh, 14 out of the 16, I could tell them, hey, man, I need a pink school bus here. I'm in the middle of the desert in, in Djibouti, Africa. Can you, I need a pink school bus in two hours. Two hours later, a, it may not be a pink school bus, but a pink Chinook helicopter will show up, huh. right? Yeah. Like, like that's how capable they are. And so leading those type of men every day had you in that mindset. Like when you, you know, when I left my house, it was game on. Wow. Wow. It's beautiful. Now, before we get into the interview, I want to understand a little bit more of your current role as the director of player development at University of Illinois football team. Uh, what does a day-to-day yep. look like for you? So it's interesting, you know, er, early on, it was a a big culture shift for the kids because I'm not a babysitter. I tell everybody, I teach people to fish. I'm not giving you a single fish. You're going to starve to death unless you catch a fish. And that's, it was kind of a shift from the way we had run things here. Um, There's a lot of handholding, babysitting, reminding. I'm not about any of that. I'm not, you know, and so, you know, we had to start, we, we started with goal setting so average day, you know, early on, there was a lot of, you know, culture shift stuff, a lot of change management stuff. Now I'm in the maintenance stuff. You know, we got three, four transfers coming in. So I'm dealing with housing and some stuff like that. I'm here during the summer because uh, everybody else is off for six weeks, but I've got the freshmen where I want them. I've had them for about a month now. They're doing exactly what I want. They're not being late to class. They're conducting themselves like young men. You know, they're working really hard in the workouts, everything that we need them to do. So now I come to work, you know, make sure everything's squared away for the incoming five guys or four transfers we got coming in. You know, they'll be here on Monday for physicals. Um, I've been working with one of them because he's very, very verbose. He just got an amazing use of the English language. So, you know, we chopped him up. He he wants some experience. So we're going to try to get him over to development. And he's got an interview on Tuesday. He gets here on Friday. He'll get his physical on Monday. And then he'll be sitting over in development in the suit and tie interviewing for an internship for the next three weeks with them. And I think he'll he'll crush it. He's perfect for the job. Awesome. So, you know, it's, it's a bunch of stuff like that. You know, I do a lot of one-on-one during the day, just helping people get where they want to go in life. Um, you know, I do a lot of mentoring uh, in the job and out of the job. So uh, one of the baseball players from here is now at SEAL training right now. 
and he's killing it. But, you know, I'll talk to him. So I, I, the best thing about my job is I really don't know what I'm going to do in the day. Every now and then there's a fire to be put out. So I had to put a fire out last Thursday here. You know, it turned out to be a lot less of a fire and more a little smoldering grass. But, you know, it's just an opportunity to interact with the kids and, and get the players to know that, you know, someone's out there. Um, yesterday I gave a pretty impactful speech on 4th of July, mainly about alcohol. Uh, not, and I guess there was no drugs, but alcohol, guns, ATVs, watercraft, and then the big one, fireworks. Mm. So I showed some people with their face burned off from fireworks. Uh, John Pierre Paul yep. with his whole fingers blown up and his new glove that only has three fingers on it. And, you know, so we did a little comeback to Jesus like, hey, man, that, you know, I have a catchphrase for my trouble prevention program, which is it's just not worth it. And so about halfway through the speech, people were like, yo, it's just not worth it, you know? <laughs> so it, it works. You just got to remind them from time to time. So Absolutely. Now, within your role, do you are you a part on the front end of the recruiting process? Do you get to see some of these, these kids on the front end, or do you get them after the fact? So, uh, you know, the, the awesome thing about Illinois is we're all really involved here. And I've got this amazing, call it a recruiting pitch that I developed at Finley. So when I was at Division II Finley, you literally had a recruiting day every day. Every day we brought in between 10 and 20 kids, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, for like five weeks straight. And so I had this pitch that I gave, which was basically, look, I may be a football coach and I may work here in the University of Illinois, but the big picture is that I've got connections through my life that can put you into any job you want to go into. Be that you want to be a Wall Street banker, you want to be a F-14 fighter pilot, you want to work for the FBI, you want to be the king of the trash man, right? Like, whatever job you want to go into, I got one phone call that I can make, and I can help facilitate that initial introduction, but then I'm going to prepare you to be successful in that job. So this kid I'm talking about, this guy that's transferring in, like, I've grinded his face off over the last two weeks to get ready for this interview on Tuesday. He will go in there and lay fire down, right? Like I told him, nothing I do is by accident. It's all prepared. Every day we're preparing for tomorrow like it's a Super Bowl. So I will make sure that he has everything he needs to be successful when he goes into that interview on Tuesday. So it all kind of, right, like that's the whole pitch of the thing. And then I just run down all the success stories. The guy that's at Pemco making $4.5 million a year that's 32. The, the, the Almost the youngest submarine captain in the history of the Navy. My three GAs that are Division One guys now. The kicker that, that when I got two years ago was a 71% kicker who now just got done with OTAs up at Buffalo and missed one kick in all of OTAs. Wow. Um, and even he's still learning because the, the, the vet that he was kicking with uh -huh. missed zero. So that's, that's the standard, right? Like right. He said, like, Jake, I am completely prepared for this environment. He said, but the standard changed dramatically. And I said, hey, bud, I tried to explain it to you. So I'm glad you're seeing it. I'm glad you were prepared. But that dude two years ago was kicking 71% of his field goals. Wow. So that's that's what I do. So all of those people are in my call. I call it a five. It's like a 25-minute just fire presentation. And so I've pretty much been mandated. I have to give that to every recruit. Beautiful. Well, And you can, you can actually see that online. Like I got that on my YouTube channel. Yeah, so to get an idea of kind of what I'm talking about. Absolutely. And I'm going to encourage all my listeners to check out uh, 
everything you can on Jake because there's some really, really powerful videos in multiple environments of you, of you speaking. So, and I was moved. That's one of the reasons why I have you on my show today. Um, I appreciate it, man. Let's go. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Well, I'm doing something right. <laughs> well, you're talking about like mentorship, right? And I know that's huge. And we're going to talk about that more in the show. Yep. But when you think about being a mentor, being a coach, what is your philosophy? Okay, so I'm going to tell you right now, my philosophy on mentorship is different than everybody else in the world. I had this soft kind of help guide people through mentorship um, for about 10 years. And in 05, I had a kid fail out of SEAL training, and I realized that I, I didn't have him prepared. Hmm. One, he wasn't capable, but two, I didn't have him prepared. So now I just run, you know, to, to be flat out honest, it's a fire and brimstone mentorship program. There's two rules. You do exactly what I ask you to do, and then I will never ask you to do any BS in return, right? Those are the only two rules. And so I may be getting ready to fire a, a young lady that I've had for a couple years because she keeps repeatedly doing what I ask her not to do and not doing what I ask her to do. Right. So she will be getting fired. Normally it happens a lot sooner than this, but this one's a little bit of a unique situation. So I have no problem. I'm firing you. I tell everybody, I only give my free time to world-class individuals. And if you don't have the potential to be a world-class person, then I'm not giving you free time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, your mantra, which I've, I've listened to and, and read, it's, I empower people around me to do the impossible. How do you get people around you to, to do the impossible? So the first thing, you know, like everybody asked me, man, and I looked up on that, right? I, I won't even claim, like, they were asking me for a quote on Top Shot, and I said, look, man, I got the unique ability to do the impossible consistently. That's the facts, right? Like, right. I just do. But when you step back and ask me, how am I able to get a five out of six on the writing for the GMAT, I teach my mentees that they got to be willing to do anything it takes to be prepared for the situation that's going to come upon them no matter when it happens. And that's the thing that, that really hurts a lot of people because they won't take the time. Like I got my notes, my head coaching and my AD notes are on my phone. Okay. I got asked the question two weeks ago and I realized I had not been diligently going over my notes every day. So I went over them and then a week later, that same individual got on the phone and asked me those questions and I responded like a pro. <laughs> and, and, right. I wasn't prepared. Right. And, and it's those little reminders that bring you back to reality. Totally. We're all human. Yeah. Like no one, no one is living that absolute, you know, perfect life. I make mistakes too, but it was a reminder, right? Like, okay, Hey man, this, this is life. You don't know when that question's going to come. So that's the big thing, right? I get my, my young men and women to understand that, that preparation literally dictates the outcome of your performance. And a lot of people just don't understand, you know, like we run on four mantras at the are at, at SEAL training. Every day is Tuesday because Tuesday is one of those days you never care if you got to come to work early. You don't care if you go home late. So every day is Tuesday until you're at home in your bed. Then it can be whatever other day it is. Okay. <clears throat> tomorrow's, uh, we're going to prepare today like tomorrow's the Super Bowl. Okay. And then it will be 400% prepared for every test. Not 100%, not 200%, but 400% because then we're guaranteed to pass the test, okay? Anything less, I tell people, anything less than 400% is, 
And you're now letting Murphy's Law and the fog of war to come in and dictate whether you're successful or not. I don't even play those games, okay? And then the last one is I'll die before I quit, right? And that's really the seal mantra, but it, it's hard for people to understand until you've passed out in the pool and still passed drown proofing while unconscious. Wow. Okay? And once you get to that point in life where you can mm. understand that, that if I die, it's not a bad day for me, it's a bad day for everybody else, and I got to push through the fact that I can't see anymore and try to get to that wall to pass drown proofing, then it all becomes very clear because, you know, shoot, in a fight, you know, if you're fighting for your life, right, you got the rest of your life to either win the fight or get killed. That's the two facts. Wow. I love it, man. So, so all of that rolled into basically be absolutely fundamentally prepared for the opportunity that you may not even know is coming. Yep. I always say this preparation is your separation. 100%. Yeah. 100%. I love that. That's a great one. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Now, here it is. Here's here's the reason why that I've got connected to you and, and have you on my show today. And about four days ago, you wrote this post on LinkedIn, and it just, there was something that connected and resonated with me in this. And I'm going to read most of, of this post. And what you wrote was, too many people want to talk about their superstar lifestyle, how awesome they are. I have one response. I mentor a ton of people from Navy SEALs to C-suite executives, and this statement comes out all the time. My happiness is based on your change and achievement. And with a capital letter, you wrote, I want actions and results. We build champions for life. What was the trigger that made you voice your opinion on this topic? So, I, you know, I, I got a, I got call it 105 young men here. And, you know, we got a young man that got 14,000 followers on Instagram, you know, but he don't understand what it takes to actually win. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole thing. Like this, this young generation, and, you know, I hear, I hear it from some of my older people from time to time. You know, I'm already, I'm made. Really? Have you won a national championship? I asked, I asked the person that today. You know, one of my young mentees, not young, but younger than I am, one of, she's a head coach, and she asked me, right? And I, I just told her, I said, have you won a national championship yet? And I, I heard the gears start grinding, right? Like, right. like, don't tell me how successful you are, right? Show me, okay? Yeah, you did that, but you didn't even make the playoffs this year. You know, and it, it just it puts them on their haunches because, I, you know, everybody asks me, you know, about my accomplishments, and I'm saying, yeah, yeah, whatever, like, I still don't have that natty on my finger as a head coach, right? Or I'm still not sitting in the AD seat winning national championships, you know? And when I become a U.S. senator, I'm going to say, first thing I'm going to say is, I'm gonna say, hey, man, what was it like to win a national championship? I'm going to be like, yeah, it was awesome. Now I'm a U.S. senator, right? Right. No different than people asking what it was like to be a Navy SEAL. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a college football coach. I'm a director of player development at the University of Illinois, right? And I think that's an important part, kind of the humility of just – you know, achievement. And like, for me, it's about the process. I'm all about the grind and the process of being great. Mm. So, you know, the outcome is inevitable. I love it, man. Uh, it's, you're getting me all fired up, man. Uh, I love it. So when you think about self-entitlement, right? I, I think we, yep. I think social media definitely aids that. What, what do you think, like right now at the collegiate system or the collegiate level, where do you think this self-entitlement comes from, and how do you coach it and mentor it? 
So, you know, it's interesting. I, I took a, an unusual project. Let's just call it a one-off. And um, I have a young individual who I'm mentoring who economically very challenged, okay? Absolute superstar. Absolute, okay? And so, long story short, I, I raised a bunch of money to buy her a van. The first van I proposed to her, she, did, she said, I don't, I don't, I don't want to drive that. Okay, great. Proposed another van to her. I don't want a van. I want this. Okay, okay, all right. So, and if she hears this, she'll probably fight me. But <laughs> I basically was just like, cool, I'm just going to wait until she gets to the breaking point And she calls me bawling and lets me buy her what I know she needs. Because at this point, I understand that her social economical background cannot justify her buying a 04 Toyota Sienna with 60,000 miles on it for $5,000. Wow. Okay. So she ended up getting something that I really wasn't happy with, but I knew she would be happy with it. And after five months of sitting on this cash to buy her a van, I was totally done with the situation. Right now, fast forward, she's grown immensely. She just got a job. She starts on Wednesday. She will be a superstar, but sometimes it's just let them let them enjoy that self pain, right? Right. You got four kids. You don't have a car. You don't have a job. Oh, the water's turned off. Oh, that, oh man! If you had let me buy that van three months ago, you could have been long since working, <laughs> right? And that's kind of the pain point, right? And I just use that as an example because it's no different when with the young people, you know. You don't want to do the work. I know this. I'm in college athletics. I ain't got to worry about nothing. You win or lose games. You make or miss field goals. You make or miss tackles. It is right there in front of you. You cannot fake being a great a great football player. It's impossible. Right. So that's one of the things that, you know, people get humbled, man. People get humbled in this sport. You, know, you talk about uh, what I'm hearing a little bit is, is embracing the struggle, uh, the pain, right? And I, I yep. had about a year and a half ago, a close friend of mine was a former coach uh, when I was in junior college. He's actually the offensive line coach for University of Virginia. His name's Garrett 2J. And okay. I, I had him on my show, and it was all about embracing the struggle because he saw that there was a huge opportunity of kids. Same thing that you're, you're talking about. Are they willing to do the work, doing the hard work, and getting the lesson from the struggle, right? And how do you, do you see that right now? Is that a common theme, you know, with the student athletes that you're dealing with? And what are some of the things that you do to, to get them to really embrace the struggle and not to love it, but to embrace it? Yeah. I mean, I, I always say you, you better be recruiting tough guys, hmm. right? Because you can recruit a five-star soft dude and I don't care how good he is. He's going to be soft. And so one of the big things that we've been running on around here lately is, uh, what got you here won't get you to the next level, period. So whatever you did to get here, when you get here, if you continue doing just that, you're not even going to make the team. And that's a shock, right? I, one of the best things I tell the freshmen is I don't know any freshmen that have started as true freshmen and developed into really good football players. I know a whole bunch of redshirt freshmen that are in the NFL right now. Hmm. Wow. And that's the thing, right? Like, this generation has to just get punched in the face to actually see it and feel it. And then, you know, we got kids that are quit. We just had a kid quit yesterday, right? Like, that's what happens, man. It, it, hey, I'll tell you right now, the Division One football lifestyle 
is not for 95% of America. It's not. It's hard. It's 20, 30 hours a week. It's painful. You got to study. You got to do well in school. And you're at the University of Illinois, right? right. But if you want to be great and you want to be a champion for life, this is what you got to do because the real world is even worse than this. You know, you got people paying your bills here. You got people providing meals for you. Right. What do you think it's like to go out in the real world, right? And that's the thing that, you know, we've, we've got a couple guys that just went out in the real world last year, and they were super prepared, and now they're coming back and saying, listen, man, you better listen to what he's selling, because I'm going to tell you right now, he ain't lying about this thing called the real world. It's an animal, and it will eat you. Yep. I know it. I've been there. Yep. And you, you know, you talk about quitting, and I want to bring this up because I had an opportunity uh, to coach, not only play football for 13 years, but coach at a really incredible program here in the Bay Area, Sarah High School, where a lot of incredible athletes, Tom Brady, Barry Bonds, Lynn Swan, um, the head coach there, Patrick Walsh, is incredible. And yep. when it comes to quitting, and this is more for my listeners for, like from a lesson standpoint, Whenever he starts every single season, he always has that, that parent meeting. And he tells all the parents, he says, if your son comes to my first practice of, of summer ball, he's, there's no option. It's a non-negotiable if he wants to quit. He won't quit. And if he does quit, I'm actually going to be at your front doorstep, and this is going to be a reflection on you. So, yep. you know, and, and he's done that a few times. So, uh yeah, quitting to me, that's just not an option, right? It's just not. So, so you know, I love, I, I, you know, we got say saying in the teams, quit, quitters are welcome, mm. right? Like, hey, man, hey, I'd rather have you quit now when no one's getting shot at right. than have you quit when someone is getting shot at, right? And, right. You know, I just saw a young lady that, that quit today, and she looked at me and said, I'm out of here. I said, hey, great, man, quitters are welcome. And everybody in the office looked at me like I had five heads, right? Wow. I said, hey, man, I'd rather have you quit now than when we're trying to beat Michigan. Great right? point. Like, Great hey, point. good. You know, and I don't, you know, my whole deal is after going through SEAL training, you know, if you're a quitter, you're going to be a quitter. You know, like I catch some flack about Top Shot, how I walked off Top Shot, you know, and they're like, oh, you're a quitter. And I'm like, really? Like I told them if they gave me a gun that didn't work on a shooting competition, I'm leaving. The gun didn't work. I left. As a result, the show got canceled, and then I got three more TV shows. So although it might appear that I lost, I actually ran the table and crushed it on TV. Right. So, you know, it's all perspective, right? And it I is. have a saying, you're allowed to quit anything that's easy. There you go. I love right? it. Right? If you're at the bar at 1 o'clock in the morning, you can go home. It's not quitting. It's it's called, it's easy. I'm going home, right? Right. If you're laying on a beach and it's 2 o'clock and you're supposed to be there until 3, you can get up and leave. It's okay. Now, if you're running a marathon and it's mile 24, then you're not allowed to quit. Right. Exactly. I think it all comes down to intention too, right? I mean, I know everyone's going to have perspective. You can't control people's perspective. You can influence it. You can't control it. Yep. Right. But it's it's your intention. So like you said, your intention was this. If if the gun's not working, I'm out. That's not quitting. You was it was your intention, man. And you hey, hundred percent. You know? know. You know, 
I want to talk about confidence because I, more often than not, you know, when I'm working with athletes on building confidence, there's mm-hmm. always that fine line between confidence and cocky. And also in between the two words, there's swagger, right? And yep. so getting, getting these athletes to, when they're voicing their confidence, building their confidence, you know, sometimes they're like, oh, I don't want to say that because I don't want to be perceived as cocky. So, and, and I want to kind of dive more into this topic, but from your perspective, what's the difference from being confident and being cocky? You know, I, it, it's interesting because everybody calls me extremely arrogant and cocky. And then I stomp their face in the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Like, to be honest with you, like, like, you know, when I was in the SEAL teams, I got challenged so many times to fights and I went undefeated, right? Like, you know, and, and you take lumps in the SEAL teams, but like, that's the problem I have. Like, I'm willing to do what you're not willing to do to win. Right. So that's the big thing, right? That that whole confidence and cockiness. I always say this. The people that are saying you're cocky are the guys that can't do it. And then, you know, like, there is no answer, right? Like, oh, he's really confident, but I don't think he can do it. Then he bulls, you know, 10 300s in a row. And then you're like, well, he's just cocky. Like, he's look how cocky he is. Well, he just showed you 10 300s and bowling in a row. Like, hey, bud, at some point you got to understand that he can actually back up what he's saying. Right. So, I, 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 you know, that's one of them questions where I just kind of been like, yeah, whatever. Like, you're going to say I'm cocky. You know what? I, here's where I live. Show up. What do you want to do? What do you want to compete in? Because when you get done, you're going to be like, damn, okay, I understand. Right. That's really the only way you can, you know, like I tell people, you can sit here and talk about that all you want, but unless you're going to come and compete against me, you're not going to actually feel that pressure that I'm going to put on you to actually perform. Right. Beautiful. You know, when I talk about the two, I understand if I say that I'm going to go into competition and I'm going to light this thing up, man, this is my game. I'm going to light this thing up. And someone says, hey, man, you're cocky. Well, here's the deal. Confidence is about me and being cocky is about you sufficing you. <laughs> and guess yeah. what? And guess what, man? Like, my, my confidence, if my intention in that moment to express how I felt about competing, my intention was, was true and authentic, and I was, I'm right with myself. And when you're right with yourself, man, you don't care about what anybody thinks, even if you have a poor game, right? I call that supreme confidence. So, yeah, yeah. so Grant, when you were competing, let me ask you this. What was your mindset pre-competition? Oh, man. Well, it all came from visualization, man. Uh, 100%. Hundred percent. But like, so like, I, I I try to explain this to people. When I competed in wrestling, mm-hmm. I was trying to eliminate the opponent. I was not trying to beat them by fifteen point, points. My whole vision in my head was literally ripping off their arms <laughs> and legs, and then pinning them. Yeah. Right. Because in my mind, I was going to war. Hmm. Now. It's funny because two of my best friends are from wrestling. And so freshman, sophomore year, they thought I was some kind of street axe murderer because I used to sit in the top of the stands with my hood over my head. And when it was time to wrestle, I'd run out of the stands and I'd maul people. Right. And so they talk about it to this day because like, but that's how I did it. But the neat thing is about SEALs, I learned how to do something that used to take me two hours to get ready to wrestle. I can do it in five seconds now. And wow. that's the beauty of the SEAL teams, being able to take two hours of preparation and condense it into five seconds. Wow. You know, it, when you ask that question, 
when I was competing and playing and competing in football, I was, I was a quarterback. So, yep. and I love that question because what was I thinking going into my competition is about control, control. I mean, controlling myself, controlling the rhythm, controlling the players, the vibe. I mean, it was all about control. Yeah. Uh, I felt like if I was in control, man, we're, we're going in the right direction. Yep, and you had a really important job as a QB, right? Big You're responsible for all 11 dudes. I played nose guard. <laughs> you know, my whole goal was to close my brain off and just be a Jedi. Yep. Right? Be a 200-pound, 5'7", Division One Jedi playing nose guard. That was my whole goal. Yeah. A few questions here before we, before we close up. I want to bring up this word success because when you think of words like success, love, passion, even mental toughness, grit. We all know what that means, but we all have a different yep. internal representation of it. And I, I, I actually have a whole session with teams about success. What does it look like? What does it feel like when you're actually going, when you're performing poorly? Can you still get success out of it? Um, so when you think about that word success, like what does it mean to you? I mean, to me, it's simple. You know, success is what you define it. Did you set your goal and did you achieve it? Right. Like, so for me, my, my number one overarching goal is to raise three beasts in life. All three of my kids will be as successful as they possibly can be and as prepared for life as I possibly can make them. OK, at the end of the day, if I do nothing else for the rest of my life and I accomplish that goal, then I'm successful. You know, after that, then it's my personal goals. I'm going to win a Division One national championship as a head coach or I'm going to win 11 Division One championships as an AD, period. Like, those are the two goals, finite in nature. I'm either going to do it or I'm not, and then I'm going to parlay that success into a seat in the U.S. Senate. Wow. And that's it, right? Like, I'm either going to achieve those goals or I'm not. Now, there's some side goals on the side and some other little stuff, but at the end of the day, you know, those three goals are pushing me right now to be the best I can be every day for the most part. And, you know, I got to work in some personal time in there because right now there's not a lot of that because right. I'm close, right? When you get close, and my wife said it yesterday, she said, man, you're really close, aren't you? And I said, why do you say that? She said, because you've been doing nothing but grinding for the last three months. And she said, when I start seeing this, I know change is coming because you're close. Wow. And so she, she'd been through the process probably four or five times at this point. And I didn't really realize I was doing it so much, but I guess I am. Because now I look back at the day, and like last night, I turned the computer off at like 11.30, went to bed, got up this morning, started grinding again. So, wow. you know, that's what it looks like, bud. Like, I can't, you know, it's what, what you see is successful. Absolutely. I think if you're, in, if you're honoring and trusting the process, even though it is a grind, there's joy in it. And that's that's what I love tapping into joy. If I can get people around me tapping into joy and we're joyful and joyous, but we're still going to hold each other accountable. We're still going to get after it. Yep. But you know what? You can still have joy within the process of it. Yep. 100%, man. You got you got you know, that's one of the things I've been working on is just have more fun in life, right? Because you find yourself in this this conundrum of work and grind and you know, and pretty soon you're miserable. Yeah. You know, I got three I got three young boys at home. I mean, shoot, I got to turn my phone off and just lay on the floor and get wrestled with for two hours, <laughs> right. you know, or chase kids, play hide and seek, even though they're going to hide in the same place every time I got to search the whole house to find them, right? Like right. at the end of the day, that's fun, you know, shoot, watching them fight and sitting out of the yard, getting hosed down with a water hose, you know, because they're playing water fight and, and they're running around like Tasmanian devils. 
You know, you're not going to get that back. You're not going to get that time back. Right. No, I agree. I agree. You know, again, going back to mentorship, I know that um, mentorship is huge for you. And there was a video, and I can't remember what college you were at, but there was a video of you were talking about this situation, this story, where you came in and there was this just from from a physical standpoint, this athlete was massive. I think he was 6'5", 300-something pounds, ran a 4'8", 40. And the coach was like, and but he had a poor GPA. So he was like, man, he was already writing him off. Yep. And you were like, from my perspective, you're like, there's an opportunity there. I can affect change. Now, it seemed like, based off that story, that it was successful. But when you are in a mentorship role, when do you know when to cut it off, like when you just know that you, whatever you do, they're just not buying in. So there's there's two different, you're right, there's mentorship and then there's your job, okay? My job as a football coach is to make everybody around me better, mm. all right, period. So so you don't ever cut those dudes off. Now, sometimes they'll cut themselves off, right? They won't get the grades. They'll do something stupid. You got to kick them out of school, okay? Those guys don't ever reach the, I'm not messing with your limit, for the most part. I got a couple of them. Okay, because for whatever reason, you're just you're not going to get through to them no matter what you do. But for the most part, if I'm coaching, you're getting coached or, or in this case, you're getting mentored. The only time I'll cut you off is if it's on my time. Mm. So if it's on my time and you're not doing what I want, you're going to get your head blown off. <laughs> um, you know, the case you're talking about, my guy, Jared Smith. I mean, you know, short of Chase McLaughlin, the kicker that just went from 71 percent to the NFL. You know, I would say even Jared's is bigger than that because he had a 176 for three semesters, man. Wow. And I got my hands on him, and, and he ended up graduating with over a 3.0. He ended up getting drafted in the fifth round by the Seattle Seahawks in 2012, ends up winning the Super Bowl in 2013. And literally three years before, he was getting ready to get kicked out of school because he was deemed not smart enough to graduate. Wow. That's, that's the magic. Right. That's the yo, you come over here and play in this fish pond. We're going to learn how to catch big fish (laughs) and catch them every day and eat like kings for the rest of our lives. I love it. I love it. Man, I love it. So one more question here before we uh, sign off here. When you reflect on your career as a Navy SEAL, as a coach and a mentor, what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? Uh, You know, this is interesting, man. About five years ago. Uh, I found myself in this self-help program that's really, really changed my life. And then one of my mentees, who's a rock star, um, talked to me about a conversation he had with his commanding officer. And his commanding officer said, listen, man, he said, you are the top 1% of the world. Hmm. He said, you cannot operate like that in a normal work environment. He said, because if you do, your 9 in 10 is other people's doesn't even exist. And he said, why don't you bring it back to five or six and watch how much more success you have in the workplace. And so I'm having this conversation with my mentee and he's like, yeah, man. He's like, I think it'll help you. And I said, man, like, but how do you live with yourself given five or six? And he said, well, you know, you know, I bought 29 homes in the last two years. That's how I live with myself. I give that other five to the home buying industry. And so it was kind of interesting, right? And so about five years ago, I started operating at five or six. And as much as I hate it, I'm so much more successful 
because I'm not offending all of the one, twos, and threes that I work with. Right now, I work at Illinois. There's a bunch of great people here, but I've worked at a couple of places where there was a whole bunch of one, twos, and threes. Right. And instead of pissing them off, they just see you as good. They don't see you as like unattainable. Right. So you know, as as bad as that sounds, that's the truth. Right now, when I become a head coach, you better believe that you getting ten. And if you can't handle ten, I'm hiring a new person because everybody I have around me will be working at nine and ten. Period. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of brings back, it's, it's kind of my philosophy and what I do, but I, I meet everyone where they're at. Now, if you're oper- if I'm operating at a 10 and I'm, and I'm wanting everyone to be where I'm at, you know, maybe there can be a disconnect, but there'll never be a disconnect yep. if I'm actually meeting people where they're at. Um, yep. so man, this is, uh, Man, I'm I'm all fired up. I love this, man. Um, how do my listeners? How do they follow you on social media and get connected with you? All right, man. So I'm super easy. Jake Zwig. That's uh, J A K E Z W E I G. Um, I would say right now I'm crushing LinkedIn. Um, that's probably my primary platform for a number of reasons. And then my next one is Instagram. Uh, LinkedIn is just Jake Zwig. Instagram is Jake Zwig 1911. And then, you know, everything else after that is just kind of fluff. If you want to get a hold of me, my email is super easy, jake.zwig at gmail. If you just put it in Google, it's going to come up everywhere. So super accessible. Just understand this. If you contact me for something, you better be the real deal. Oh, right on. Right on, man. Well, I've, uh, man, this is, thank you for your thoughts. Thanks for your energy. Um, and I, I can't wait to see your success and, and see the people around you that you've been building and working with and seeing their success. Man, enjoy life, baby. Enjoy life, man. You bet, man. I appreciate it.